Hi, this is Sarah, and you're listening to Sarah Keat in My Car, a storytelling series about driving, riding, and getting from here to there. I'm so glad that you've come back for episode three. I do hope over the next two weeks, you'll take a minute to check out sarahkeat.com. We've changed up the podcast page so that you're able to leave comments after each episode. I would really love to hear about your road trips and adventures in a car. Or maybe you can tell me about the first family car you remember. And as usual, you can subscribe to Sarah Keat on Apple Podcasts or in SoundCloud.com. Now today's stories are about work. Taking a car to work specifically. One of the first times I remember working for money was in elementary school. That's right. You might notice a lot of my stories begin when I was eight years old. And the truth is that it's somewhere between six and 11 years old, first grade and fifth grade. Those five years have smashed in my mind like one big long year of Lake Mary Elementary and the house at the corner of Washington Avenue and Ruskin Street. So anyway, it is sometime, let's say, in the mid-1980s. Both sets of my grandparents made a point to visit our family once a year. They lived in the Midwest, and traveling to Florida took some planning. We were looking forward to a visit from my dad's parents, Grandma and Grandpa Hoyer. We all wanted to take them somewhere fun, maybe miniature golf and then out for dessert. We didn't have a lot of extra money for those kind of things, and my dad saw a classified ad in the paper with a new way to bring in money. The Yellow Pages was paying people to deliver phone books. It was something like 17 cents a book. Okay, I don't know exactly what it was. I was a child, but we were definitely paid by the book. Dad decided this would be an excellent family project and a great way to bring in the cash needed to treat grandma and grandpa. So my dad goes to this large auditorium, probably in a local high school, and picked up the list of streets we were responsible for and our huge pile of books. He drove them back to the carport in the green machine, refer back to episode one for the family's introduction to the station wagon of my youth, Dad let myself, my brother Ben, and my sister Meredith know that we were all coming with him on delivery duty. My mom and my youngest brother Jacob, just a toddler then, stayed behind. She had the job of taking each phone book and putting it in a plastic sleeve and also watched the little one run around. Ben, Meredith, and I climbed into the back of the wagon with the first round of books for a street or two. Before I continue this story, Please remember that I am about nine years old, which makes my brother eight and my sister five. Please now think about children you know who are around those ages today and put them in this situation. You're welcome. Okay, so the three of us are in the station wagon along with stacks and stacks of phone books. My father drives down the street at a stupidly slow speed and we hop out of the back of the wagon where he has left the hatch hanging open. We run a phone book up to the front door of each house and then run back and hop into the back of the wagon. Seriously. Sometimes he parked and started running them out as well because the child labor just wasn't going fast enough. My mom joked he looked like Fagin from Oliver barking at us with one arm out the window. It seemed like we did this for days. It might have been a Saturday morning. I've been known to exaggerate, but either way, it was long and hot 
and not a fun thing for kids to do. My poor little sister was about as big as a phone book, so she was really struggling just carrying that thing up someone's sidewalk. We had delivered a couple hundred phone books and saw that we had only one more street left on our list. Hallelujah! The hell was almost over and we could take Grandma and Grandpa to Pirate's Cove for mini-golfing. There might even be enough money for cake at the bubble room. Dad checked the map and the street was called Pebble Creek Terrace. We drove through the newly subdivided neighborhoods of Lake Mary until we found it. Pebble Creek Terrace. A winding road through a huge maze of apartment buildings. Each unit, of course, would need its own phone book. My brother and I about lost it. I am 99% sure there were tears. Dad went back to the huge auditorium that had a seemingly endless supply of phone books. We needed more because of this long, overpopulated street. My brother and I prepped ourselves for climbing endless stairs to drop a heavy plastic bag on each doorstep. Did I mention what a small child I was? With today's laws, I would have been driven in my freshman year of high school in a booster seat. I'm sure that phone book was very heavy. Dad did help us with this street. Poor Meredith opted for the method of dragging the phone book behind her little body to get herself up the stairs. Clunk, clunk, clunk. We didn't mind how long it was taking her. One more book delivered was still one more book delivered. We finally dropped off the last 150 books or so to each and every unit of Pebble Creek Terrace. We were all tired and cranky. My brother Ben was done and over every last minute of it. He was throwing attitude to my dad about something as we all clambered into the back of the wagon. My dad was hollering back, ready, let's go, time to go, and he drove off right over my brother's foot. He hadn't exactly gotten all the way back into the car yet. You would think we were all really worried about his foot, but mostly we just pulled him up and into the car and had a good laugh about it when we got home. Hey, remember that time that dad ran over Ben's foot? Yeah, that was some funny shit. Nobody in my family ever said shit, actually. Maybe once we were teenagers and then it was kind of whispered in rebellion behind clenched teeth or at least a closed door. Sometimes my mother said crap and we all gasped because she must be really angry about something to use that kind of talk. So it might have been more like, remember that time when dad ran over Ben's foot with the car? Oh yeah, that was so funny. And then uncontrollable laughter from all, except maybe Ben or dad, depending on who was in what mood that day. Now in high school, I had many jobs, but I never had my own car. I was at the mercy of my parents picking me up or sometimes they let me take a family car by my senior year, I was working at the local movie theater. We sold an obnoxious amount of concessions, including the very popular 24-ounce can of Arizona iced tea. A tree hugger and a dramatic teenager, it was extremely upsetting to me that the movie theater did not sort the trash or recycle. I asked all of the staff to set aside the cans. Once a week, I stuffed the back of my parents' minivan with garbage bags full of aluminum and put them on our curbside for recycle pickup. One person can make a difference. I'm going to skip the whole four years I lived in Texas and a bunch of jobs because college and tell you about one of the first jobs I booked in Chicago. Five or six years after those high school recycling runs, I was living in the Windy City. 
I spent the first six months here taking only the L or bus. The traffic was intimidating and I felt very nervous behind the wheel of our red Chevy S10 pickup. At an audition, I met a director who later called and asked me to audition for his company. Historical Perspectives for Children. This was 2003. At that time, the company had a group of one-woman shows about historical figures that they sent out to elementary schools. The actress played the person from their youth into adulthood and brought all costumes, set, and sound equipment in their car. Truly a one-woman show. I was cast as Helen Keller. I will pause for a moment now while you imagine a one-woman show with only an actress playing Helen Keller. Okay. (laughs) There are many stories from performing that show. I did it for nearly 18 months, and I will spare you most of them. But know this. The show was narrated on tape, and there was also a projector. The teacher or principal announcing the assembly was asked to open a door and lead me to the center of the stage. Remember, Helen can't hear or see. Overcoming these obstacles is a very big part of her story. I always had to talk to the teachers specifically about that beginning entrance. The kids needed to believe the character was deaf and blind. One morning, I was at a Catholic school on the south side of Chicago, waiting behind a stage in a room filled with, no joke, bingo cards and photocopied pictures of nuns scolding you for stealing soda out of the fridge. When a teacher said, and now, Helen Keller. I froze. I can't just open this door and walk out. I can't hear you, lady. Didn't we go over this? And now, Helen Keller. I still stayed put. Didn't she remember what we had not even 10 minutes ago discussed? Now she's exasperated. Helen, Helen, come out. I have no choice. I slowly open the door, run my hand along the wall and sort of feel my way to the cord of the cassette player and then follow that up to the machine to start the show. Ridiculous. Anyway. When I first accepted this gig, I had to get used to driving again. The company didn't want the speaker and the other equipment in the bed of my truck, so I had a very specific way of piling it all in the passenger seat next to me. My five-foot self in the front seat of a red pickup truck next to sound equipment, props, and costumes for a show, driving from the city to the suburbs often before the sun came up. Living the dream. This is what a BFA is for, folks. Hilarious. Okay, I'm sorry, I have to rewind again. When I was still in high school, I wasn't allowed to drive very far. My brother, who was younger than me, however, was allowed to drive to the beach or all the way out to the theme parks. In fact, he even drove us to junior prom with our dates who were our friends. I was so mad and complained to my parents that he got so much more freedom just because he was a boy. My dad admitted, It's not because he's a boy, Sarah. It's because he knows where he's going. You get lost three blocks from the house. We're afraid to let you drive to those places because you just might not make it back. Oh, so I didn't have the best sense of direction. Prior to driving, I didn't pay any attention to where anything was. I was likely just talking to the driver. So with this theater company, 
My show assignments could be anywhere within 50 miles of the city. We didn't have smartphones yet. The night before each show, I would look directions up on MapQuest from our home computer. I printed them out and I kept two maps, one a street-by-street -street map of Chicago and the other the entire Chicagoland area in my car at all times. The company was adamant about carrying maps and never being late. Traffic was not an excuse, leave earlier. Oftentimes I would be driving and driving and driving and think, I must have missed a turn. Surely I should be at this school by now. I would pull over, exit, look at my map, or drive into a gas station and ask someone which way to the road where I was supposed to turn next. Every single time I was headed the right way, but I hadn't gone far enough. I pulled over too early. Every single time. A few years after my time performing with historical perspectives for children, I was building my network marketing business. I was going for a really big promotion that included a cash bonus for a car. To be specific, a white Mercedes. I will save my story about identity crisis leasing a luxury vehicle for another episode. The months of my qualification were difficult. I was extremely emotional. Those early mornings on the highways out of the city as a young actress came back to me like a huge blinking neon sign. In my business, I was pulling over. I exited the highway. I asked directions. I checked in with someone on how I was doing, if there was a different route or a faster route, should I have gone another direction? Instead of trusting my intuition, my knowledge, my skills, I pulled over. Finally, approaching this huge goal in my career, I just drove forward towards a destination. I trusted myself and kept on driving right past the finish line. So much of my life in my 30s has been a test of my own confidence, of my own worthiness. Do I believe in myself? Do I trust that I know where I'm going? Will I seek permission or validation before doing what I know is the right thing to do? I'm learning. I'm learning I've had a pretty great sense of direction all along. Thank you so much for listening episode was particularly fun to make as delivering the phone books is a classic story in my family's household. Um, if you did any crazy jobs as a kid, I would love for you to hop over to sarahkeet.com and leave those notes on the podcast page. We can't get enough child, child labor stories. Love to hear any of your child labor stories. Just leave those notes over on sarahkeet.com. Come back in two more weeks. For episode four of In My Car, there's still a few more car stories left to tell. And of course, you can follow me at The Sarah Keat on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time.